Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mai, pediatric speech language pathologist. I'm Kate Hensler, developmental interventionist. How are you today, Laura? Oh, I'm in March sadness. March sadness. Oh, March madness for me. Oh, that's a good line. Have you been thinking of that? I like it. March sadness. Yeah, well, I got to, I got to go see the Hoosiers lose over the weekend. Oh, but you saw them win before you saw them lose. And let's just get it out right here. It is a lot more fun to watch the game of your team when they are winning than when they are losing. Oh. Yeah. yeah, but the cards, hey, cards are number one uh, seed nationally. They're number one. I know. Go cards. Our local team. I always joke yeah, and say I, I do have two degrees from U of L. You think I'd be a big fan? I, I got to switch. I'm not going to switch because you know I'm a Hoosier at heart. Because I graduated the first time from IU, but it's right now I'm thinking, yeah, U of L. That could be it. <laughs> Well, I'm not switching either, but I do wish my cards, my friends who are cards, lots of good luck, and I know we have lots of local friends who are diehard yeah. Cardinal fans. They've been playing yeah. very well. They were the they were the the fun win over the tournament weekend. So go Cards! Uh, I know big comeback, big comeback, very different game than the one I watched in person. So there you go. <laughs> Yeah, and okay. Indiana lost to Wisconsin, and they, they gave it their best shot, but, boy, they just got out-muscled. It was like men playing boys. Unfortunately, well, we were the boys. It's just their nemesis. Wisconsin <laughs> beat IU every time this year. What's up with that? They just know their game, don't they? They, they out-muscled. Yeah, they really – yeah, I don't know. It's it's not pretty. So, anyway. At least they're well, still – Still happy for you and your Hoosiers, and you could still go off the way. You really right. could. I'm hoping this could be our year. This really could be. It's going to have to be, play better than that, though. Something better is going to have to have come along because that's not going to get it. But it was fun. You're to always see so objective. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to be better than that. <laughs> well, they are. They did not play very well. Yeah, they tried, but it was kind of kind of painful. So anyway, fun to get to them in Chicago. Was fun and wild. It was St. Patrick's, you know, day in Chicago, which is a big deal. Well, Nashville was fun on Fridays, and I have to say, the life just got sucked out of that place by Saturday, by Friday night at whatever time that got was over ten o'clock. Yeah. Um, and we we were there for a little while on Saturday, and we just came home. But I'm going to recover and have a good show today. <laughs> so we will move right along, and you can just give us the basketball updates for the rest of the year. I may not even turn on my TV <laughs> after it's all over. Mm-hmm. Oh, I will. All right, but moving right along. I wanted to mention that last week I posted a new Therapy Tip of the Week about social games, and I did that one um, because a couple days earlier I had posted an article with the directions for Peekaboo, 
And then I just started thinking about, and that the direction for playing peekaboo, what I'm talking about with that, that's from my book, Teach Me to Play With You. And I, I spent a lot of time in conferences and then in the therapy manual, Teach Me to Play With You, talking about how important social games are, but how so many of our little friends with developmental delays don't know how to respond. So we have to teach them even really simple games like peekaboo and so big and patty cake and my little horsey and all those fun little games we play. So many times we skip those with our, our own children who have developmental delays because they don't respond. And then a mom starts feeling like, oh, I'm terrible at this. He doesn't like it. I'm not going to play anymore. And moms don't always know how to break those games down into little bitty steps and how to treat those like goals and how we use tons of repetition to teach the child how to respond socially and then eventually do, and by responding socially, I'm smiling and laughing and blah, blah, and then doing their own part. And for a game like peekaboo, it's not just about saying boo at the end. There's so many things that are really a child's part of that game long before he or she can actually say boo back to you. So I, I did that as a post last week, and then I just started thinking about it and um, recorded that little, or videoed that little therapy tip of the week. So that's on uh, teachmetotalk.com, and it's on teachmetotalk.com's Facebook page if any of our listeners have not had an opportunity to watch that. So I wanted to mention that. Yesterday, I also posted an Encore Therapy Tip of the Week from last year with Easter Therapy Ideas, and I watched that again. It's so funny how I can always tell the kids that I were, that I was thinking about and kids that I was working with during those Therapy Tips of the Week last year because so many times sessions really inspired like a whole whatever that whole little segment would be. So it's kind of fun for me to watch that yesterday and think, oh, I'm thinking about a certain kid's name. So that was kind of fun for me. But that Therapy Tip of the Week was posted yesterday on uh, teachmetotalk.com's Facebook page, and I'm trying to uh, get it reposted to teachmetotalk.com and then also in the Therapy Tip of the Week section at myei2.com. And then when I was watching that yesterday, I started thinking, you know, there's so many kids who won't be able to do those kinds of activities that are on caseloads of the speech pathologists and developmental interventionists and all the early interventionists uh, who listen to our show because the kids aren't developmentally ready to talk. And last year's Easter Therapy typically really focused on expressive language goals. So I started thinking about, oh, well, we could do this and the therapist could try this. So tomorrow I am videoing a new Therapy Tip of the Week with just a couple of little Easter ideas. It will not be as in-depth as a therapy guide because those are long and involved, but just enough to get people going with some maybe fresher ideas for our kids who aren't developmentally ready to talk that they could use in the next couple of weeks for Easter. So that's my plan for tomorrow is to video that. But I wanted to go ahead and mention it because I hate it when somebody will email me and say, I really wish that I'd watched that Valentine's Day thing before February 20th. I I really could have used all those ideas. So I'm trying to get people a heads up for that. That will be posted this week. 
Well, and I enjoyed the uh, latest therapy tip of the week one. That was cute. I bet you thought it was going to be really short, and it got longer and longer, huh? Social game, the the one about peekaboo. Right. (laughs) Yeah, could you tell that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I decided it was just going to do it kind of off the cuff, and then it was a little bit more involved than that, but. I think oh, it's good information. It's good. It was very good. Yeah. And I don't do a very good job of um the way you coached, you know, the parent through it like that. I I uh thought, hmm, I need to do a better job of that. I know how to do it, but I don't necessarily do a great job of teaching it. Well, I think teaching it is if you don't teach it we I mean, we'll see progress week to week with a kid, even if we don't do a darn thing with parent education, because thankfully kids just kind of take over and remember who you are and remember your routines, and week after week they just finally get it. But it's so much better when we can make ourselves teach a parent because then therapy goes on all week long. And those little social games are so important for getting that connection going and getting right. I think they really get parents involved in play, too, even more so than sitting and playing with a toy. Because, I mean, let's face it, if if you have a child that's pretty self-isolating and avoids interaction and then they become hyper-focused on a toy, it is it is hard to engage them at that point. And certainly if you're a parent, it would be really pretty darn easy to check out when you notice that your child really likes the toys, so you don't really try as hard. But when you remove the toys from that interaction and you're just focusing on social games and then a parent starts to get a hint of a response, then it just kind of, they they get more energized and they feed off their child's even tiny glimmer of hope with progress. <laughs> and then it just, you know, becomes that whole reinforcing cycle that you want to see. So I I like to talk to parents about social games, and it's, it's hard to coach them through it. I know in the sessions that we've done together when I've said to a parent, uh, now let me see you, why don't you show us this game that you're playing with your child, or why don't you do that? I mean, it, you can almost cut the air in the room because it does get a little bit tense because, you know, you can see mom kind of tense up a little bit like, oh, no, I'm going to have to really – be on display here and sometimes it makes them a little bit nervous and then I think when there's when there are two therapists there kind of two on one that makes it worse and then if Johnny's videoing you know it's kind of like three on one with the mom and so you know I know it's uncomfortable sometimes even when it's just one therapist there and one parent you know for for both of them for the mom who feels like oh no she's going to judge me and for the therapist who feels like oh, no, I'm going to judge her, (laughs) you know, but you have to really get yourself to that place so that you just kind of go there, even if it's not so comfortable, and you have to really help moms feel at ease about it, and you have to be sure that you're giving them enough praise. If if there's something praiseworthy (laughs) and look really hard to find something, because sometimes we'll – you know, I know in the past I've worked with a lot of moms who were so good at taking care of maternal needs, and they met every child's physical need, but for one reason or another, they just weren't great players. And, you know, that that problem became even more 
compounded when they had a child who didn't really interact and who wasn't a great game player. And so you have two two floundering individuals who are trying to make something work, even if the child's not really responsive yet. And so, you know, that it does become a little bit uncomfortable when you're the professional there trying to coach a mom through that. But you've got to really do it. And you really don't know what a mom is missing or what could be better or what she's really struggling with unless you see her do it. And so right. I think that's important. Right. And just thinking about the moms that I've especially seen in the past, say, five years, I, mean, I, I feel like I've really, you know, brought my A game with parent coaching and you know, just and sometimes a mom will say, "Oh, I don't want to do it in front of you," or you can see that it's going to make them so uncomfortable. Like I had a little mom several years ago that just my presence at the door would make her break out and hide, and she would pretty much hide from me mm-hmm. the whole session. She would sit on the stairs, and she was a young, young mom, and they actually lived with her parents, and so that made it even worse. And I think her mom would come in and say, oh, "Get in there, go down there," you know. Then I always felt like, "Oh goodness, mom's in trouble now." Um, and you have sessions like that, or you'll have moms who, again, they may not even put forth their best effort because they're holding back, they're a little bit embarrassed, they're self-conscious, but you just have to still push through that because so many times you'll make even a tiny suggestion to them that dramatically improves what they try to do with their own child. And so I think it's worth that that getting over ourselves and getting over Feeling uncomfortable about it, and uh, the part of it too is just realizing that a lot of parents need help with that. Don't you think? With knowing how to play those little games. Yes, and you know the, the kids that we're suggesting need it the most aren't necessarily the most responsive. But you know it's so dramatic when when you, they have that aha moment, the difference you see right. in the child and the difference you see in the parent, how they relate to the child. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they have that that bond and the shared stuff right. that yeah so that feels but good. yeah it can be and difficult they may not get it is difficult and they may not really i mean they may get that sporadically but when you can really teach them how to play and get that spark and they see that gosh i've made my child react using this this thing that looks pretty normal <laughs> with a normal kid he's really responding to me you know this is the closest thing we've gotten to playing together it's really cool when you can facilitate that as a therapist and then for some parents they really they're you know they love their children and you know that on some level they're connected but you just don't see too much of that um and then you get these kinds of games going and it's, it's it's so sweet. It's so sweet to see the kid light up and then see the mom light up because the kid lit up. Right. That's just really, really cool. And for in a therapy session, um, I always like to have a few of these that where if I feel like I'm losing a kid, you know, yeah. if they're just kind of checking out on me, they're, uh, you know, maybe too engrossed in play with a toy or, you know, are just not responding to me socially much at all, I like to have some of these that you can pull out and get them moving and get them with you. Yeah, and I think every therapist needs, you know, at least half a dozen to ten go-to games that you don't have to think about, you don't have to, you know, you just know them and you just lapse into them. You know, there's nothing worse than sitting in a session thinking, oh, 
what am I going to do now? I mean, that that is a white-knuckle experience with, oh, no, I'm not quite sure what to do. And I think some therapists don't even really acknowledge that. They just kind of um, shrug their shoulders and go on and just think, well, I'll just sit here a minute and something will come to me. And I, that, to me, it's not the mark of a really great therapist because I think the good ones really – prepare and respond and react to what's going on rather than that just take it or leave it kind of attitude. And I I hate it when I see that. But thankfully, that doesn't happen with any of the listeners for our show because if you have taken the time to listen to a show about therapy, uh, that would set you well above uh, that level that I'm talking about because you just don't get to be that nonchalant and still kind of seek out these additional um, opportunities to talk about what we do and hone your craft. So, again, I can't preach to the the choir on this one because the people who need that message aren't here, I'm sure. But anyway, I think everybody does need a whole little list of go-to games that you know you've got some tricks in there, you already know in your mind what those little steps are, how you could teach a kid to be more responsive, what you do if a child doesn't respond, how you can expand it, how you can adapt it, how you can teach mom and dad to do it. And, again, if, um, there's an article about that that I wrote last week. At Excuse me, I've had too many carbonated drinks. Um, there's an article linked on that Therapy Tip of the Week with some of my go-to games that I wrote that article way back in 2008 when the website first started. My favorite little games are listed there, but if you need those step-by-step instructions and you're still not quite sure what Kate and I are talking about, (laughs) Teach Me to Play With You is a great resource for that. So that was there, and I love to talk about social games. I mean, I could certainly do a whole show about that, but today's show really is... Uh, with fo- hearing follow-ups from parents who have who we've seen or worked with or who've gotten the DVDs or the manuals or who have been podcast callers, we've got some nice follow-ups to uh, from parents to uh, express what's happened with their children after they've implemented what I've called our big ideas or our big topics. And certainly social games are included in that because for so many of our children, that's where we start to really build the foundation for communication. It, it doesn't start with some speech therapy or developmental therapy doesn't start with always start with saying a word. You know, it's, for so many of our kids, we have to back way up to that foundational social interaction piece and so social games are where you start that so that's one of our big ideas from today is, uh, that we're going to read about and talk about all right so let me start with the first of our follow-up letters and this one is from a dad and it's from a dad of a, a family that i worked with this summer and i've seen them several times and he says I'm sitting here listening to last week's podcast, and that he was talking about the show a few weeks ago, Kate, where we did the studies about one positive professional can really right. change the course of a child's trajectory of progress or their 
or of how a parent feels about it. And so he says, I know you aren't asking for your own horn to be tooted, but as a parent of one of your kids, I don't need a study to tell me the power of positive energy. I don't think you have a better message than meet her where she is and the anxiety you've removed from my life from your clear, honest, yet very positive feedback is life-changing. Keep up the great work and thanks again. And I love that he didn't just address the whole be positive because sometimes therapists are so positive that they kind of miss addressing, boy, we have a long way to go with this kid. So it's not just about, you know, having our rose-colored glasses on and hoping for the best and, you know, keeping it upbeat and fun. It's also about getting a parent focused on a child's strengths and what a kid is doing and where a child is functioning developmentally. And I love his letter because he pointed that out. He said the whole meet her where she is was life-changing for, and those are his words, for that family because they were really focused on all that she couldn't do and all that they wanted her to do, which was talk, um, but, but that may be a longer-term goal for her. And so really helping them focus on, okay, let's look at, where she is right now and what she can do and let's build on that. And they had never really had a speech pathologist talk to them about receptive language either. And social games. Social games were a huge part of her early treatment program. I told them that I wanted them to develop 10 or so, and then the next time I saw them, they came back. And they had even done pictures so that she could request a particular game with their pictures, so they took it a step further, and we're just a phenomenal family to work with. Wow! But I think <clears> it's such an important message to to hear that 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 really reassuring a family and really starting at that meet a kid where he is. And how many times do we say that on this show? <laughs> That's one of our big big messages with figuring out where a child is developmentally and not starting work toward that overall goal, which for all of our kids really is talking and communicating, but starting at where they can be successful and where they are right there that day, not necessarily where you want them to be. So I thought that was a great one. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever thought about it that in exactly that way, but it is kind of the underlying thing, theme of everything you uh, have to say about, you know, <laughs> what's appropriate. So like, yeah, that pretty much does sum it up. Got to start where they are. Got fill to yeah. fill in the gaps. You totally do. A lot of therapists miss that too because they'll think, okay, they're your speech therapy. You have to start working on talking when so many of our little guys, that's a long-term goal. They are not ready to use words because they don't understand words. And even backing it down a step from there, they may not understand words because they're not connected enough with people. Or they may understand words, but not not very many, not enough to get through a day. <laughs> or they may understand words just fine and have a real speech disorder, but you can't start with words. You have to start maybe with just vocalizing, with getting them noisy, and then having them learn how to imitate those easier steps before you get to words. And so all you're right. I mean, all of those variations of every child we see, 
the very first line of all of our treatment plans, even if it's just mentally we're thinking it, is meet, meet her where she is. You know, figure out where that is and then start there. Don't start 10, you know, six months, 12 months down the road. And that's what a lot of people do. The kid is functioning. You know, they'll give a test to a kid or they'll, you know, check off some kind of assessment tool and they'll see that a child is functioning at the 9 to 12 month level, but then they, they introduce things that really are 24 month level skills when they're missing a whole year of skills there and not really thinking about uh, development like we should be with everything is sequential, everything, we're building that foundation. You know, we don't we don't want splinter skills, not that those aren't a kid's strength and stuff, but so many times when you're lo- really looking at where a kid is developmentally, what we're trying to get them to do in therapy really would be a splinter skill for them because they do not have all those other little things that lead up to that. And so I, I, th- I thought it was a great letter. I loved it. You know, I'm a praise junkie anyway, and so when I get something unsolicited like that, yeah, you know, that was very, it was. Thank you for that. <laughs> very nice, and I'm sure I, Laura is very good at that stuff. So, I'm sure they did benefit. Yeah, yeah. and so meet her where she is, or meet a kid where he is. That's a huge, huge, big topic that we. I think one of us uses that line nearly every single show, even if we're not really talking about that, it's what our advice nearly always starts with. You meet where she is. You know, and that's again, that's huge and so I loved um, to hear that. All right, here's the second letter and Kate, this is the one that made you cry. That was very sweet. That you sent me back. And this is from a mom who It really did. Been, it was yeah. such a sweet letter. Is a sweet, sweet letter, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's pretty long. And I'm not going to give away any identifying information because I emailed this mom and told her that we were I was going to do this for the show, but I didn't hear back from her. So I'm not going to say anything that would um, make her in any way feel uncomfortable. But I've, I've met this mom before, and she was very sweet about saying we met at just the perfect time. And I had not seen this child; I just met this mom, and she. She was very sweet um, about some things that I helped her with, and she says, let me pick it up. She says, I think I met you at just the perfect time. I had become so frustrated and felt as though I was beating my head against the wall, and her little girl has um, a a medical diagnosis, and again, she said, we would work so hard with her and see little to no progress, so we'd just give up and try something else. And boy, how many times do we hear that in kids' histories, Kate, where we'll ask a mom about signing or we'll ask her about, you know, what have you tried, what have you done? And instead of, you know, a lot of times instead of really hearing about progress, they'll say, oh, we didn't, he just, that didn't work. We, we, and you'll say, well, what did you do? Well, we just stopped. We just moved on. And I, I think that that happens a lot. And I think we need to be, we always need to try something new when our strategies aren't working. But at the same time, you can't be so quick to move on when, um, you know, we have to give kids sufficient time to make progress. And so she says, um, by the time I met you, we were just grasping for anything. And then this child, they were they were weaning her off uh, kind of medication. And so um, 
they were dealing with all kinds of medical issues too, in addition to her struggling uh, developmentally. And so it was really hard for the mom to kind of sort out what was lack of progress developmentally versus what were side effects for medications. And I've seen that with more than a few kids that I've treated, that it, especially when kids are on those seizure meds, isn't it hard, Kate, to determine what's the side effect of a medication versus what the developmental delay or even, you know, a kid who might be autistic or, you know, who later gets a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorders, a lot of times we kind of have a hard time discerning whether what's going on is a side effect of a med or if it's a true neurological issue. I know we've shared kids like that, but we've wondered that about. Right. <clears throat> and I haven't had too many kids on seizure meds. I've certainly had some. But, yeah, they do tend to zonk them out. Um, or sometimes make them hyper, too. I think, it, you know, it does yeah. have neurological effects. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and I've had kids, even kids on medicines like that are pretty um, more more common, like even kids that are on medicines for like asthma. Sometimes right. those breathing treatment kids can totally, um, you know, you're looking at, you're thinking of all the sensory processing stuff and using all those strategies because they're bouncing off the walls and then they change meds and, oh, my goodness. It's amazing how regulated they are. And you think, uh-huh. that wasn't the kid. That was a, medication, a side effect of that medication. Or you have a kid who, like you said, totally zonked out, lethargic, can't respond, and then they change meds. And you think, well, my goodness, bless your heart. You were just dealing with Drug. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were drugged all the time. Over-medicated, yeah. Yeah. And so that is hard. But you can go the other way. Sometimes, and a little girl that we saw a long time ago, we probably saw her, I don't know if we saw her in the 90s or if it was in the early 2000s, um, she had seizures and was on seizure meds. And we started seeing her so young that it's pretty easy to think about everything in terms of, well, that's the side effect of her seizure medication, but she really was on the spectrum. And so sometimes you can attribute something to medication, but it's really not the medication. It's the underlying deficit or the underlying, the big problem, <laughs> you know, and it's not, and again, autism, that social disconnection, you know, not ever really kind of with you, really hard to engage. Uh, I've had that happen. I mean, that was the first little girl that I remembered that me really, thinking that with, but I've I've seen that with several children since then. So you, it can go either way. And so, but this mom is saying um, that when her little girl was weaned off the med, it just came out of her system and she had just begun to come alive. And she said, this is the exact time that, that we met. And um, she had, she got some of my uh, product she got teach me to play with you and building verbal imitation in toddlers and the therapy manual. Well, she got a, she got all three books, and then she shared those with her speech pathologist, and they got on board both of them. And she said they started watching Therapy Tip of the Week, and they also she also started listening to the podcast. And she said that her therapist and she the mom felt so empowered and much more 
in control of therapy. And I think that helps a lot with therapists. If you're unsure of what to do, if you've exhausted all your resources and all your tricks, (laughs) dig deeper and figure out maybe a new approach and some new things to do if you've gone, you know, a while. And especially like she described, it seems like they were pretty frustrated that they, they weren't seeing progress with anything. Um, and so they were both getting pretty um, depressed and disappointed with how therapy was going. So what they started to do, she said, we really worked on the prerequisites for language and we targeted social games with her. And she said cognitively they matched, she mastered object permanence and cause and effect uh, to activate really simple toys and objects, and she also has very basic problem-solving abilities now. And she said an example of her latest problem-solving feat was for bath time, and she said her little girl loves bath time, and she has a Jack and Jill bathroom with her sister. The door connecting her room to the bathroom was closed, and that's the door that she usually uses to go in the bathroom, but she was so determined to get in the bathroom that she crawled out of her bedroom in the hall and then through the hallway entrance into the bathroom, and that was a really exciting moment for this mom and her husband because they had evidence. She remembered. (laughs) She knew there was another door, and she got herself there, and this is a little girl with some uh, physical struggles and challenges as well. And so she had to really move through her environment and made a big, big effort to get in the bathroom, which is what she wanted to do. And I think a lot of parents might miss something like that. And I'm so glad this mom was keyed into what a monumental cognitive step this was for her little girl. And they they recognized it because they started worrying about more than her just talking. <laughs> they backed way up and started looking at all of those cognitive milestones that children have to acquire before they start to talk. And she mentioned the three big ones. You can tell that she went to my course, right, because she names them out right there with object permanence, <laughs> cause and effect, and simple problem solving. But they were things that she couldn't do. And when they started focusing on that, on the right stuff, when they met her where she was developmentally, that's when she started to... Uh, make some real progress and and um so that was really sweet and i love that that very practical real life application of knowing that her child is mastering problem solving with getting to the bathroom door when they kind of had it blocked off when they had her door closed or getting to in the bathroom where she wanted to be so that was great um she said she goes on to say uh, she's also loved the social games that we play. She would play them all day. She'll initiate row, row, row your boat by grabbing my hands and rowing. And she said after I complete one round with her, you know, she initiates. And then she even yells at me when the game is interrupted by her sister or someone else. So I love that too. Fussy kids are communicators, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's adorable. Uh, yeah, I thought it was really cute. And she said she also initiates Aboom, which is a little game to teach me to play with you. And that game is... I mean, it's very simple. I hold my hands up and say, ah, and then boom, as I slap them down on a couch or the floor or a high chair or whatever surface you're playing on. That's a simple game. A lot of kids love that. Do you play ah, boom, Kate? I really don't. Nope. I play that a lot. 
Well, I need to start. It's, I every time I hear you do it, I think yeah, but I never think to put it really in my repertoire. You know, it's a good one to bring kids back to you. You know, like mm-hmm. if they are starting to run away, and if you play like it, I, enough, that's how I use all of them, really. Yeah, <laughs> if you've played it enough and start to go, ah, oh, a lot bring, of times I can see where they come right back. Mm-hmm. Stop them in their tracks, and they'll look right at you. You know, because you're raising your arms up above your head as you're saying, ah. And I've had more than one kid. Boom is the first word they tried to say in a verbal routine like that because they're feeling it in. They know what comes next, or that's how I can really get and start to imitate some gestures and some body movements too is because they start imitating those really simple hand movements you know lift your little hands above your head for awe and then boom just let them back down and make a big noise and so then she goes on and gives some more details about uh, what her child is doing Um, and she's you know again Great, great application of all of these things that we talk about on the show with how we have to work on cognition and get kids to the point where they're ready to learn how to talk. Because if they're if they're not there yet, it's like asking a three-year-old, you know, to tie a shoe or asking a five-year-old to drive a car. If they're not ready, they're not ready. And you could work on that. You could present that skill over and over and over, but unless you have all of those steps, you know, or teaching algebra to a child who knows numbers, unless he learns how to add and subtract and multiply and divide, he's not ready for algebra no matter how hard you work on the algebra part. He's not there yet. He doesn't have the components. He might know the numbers and recognize the numbers, but until he gets all of those little steps in place, he's not ready to do that. And so I think those analogies, this is just such a sweet email with her giving great examples of how they worked on um, the foundational skills and how they're beginning to see progress now because they're working on the right stuff with her. Right, which is what made me, I really did get teary. I mean, it was just because she had met the child where she was and was then seeing, you know, such nice uh, progress, albeit not, you know, exactly what she would have wanted, but she realized how much she really was making, and she was because she was addressing the right things. And so touching. I know. And instead of thinking, okay, my measure of success here is her popping out a word and then feeling frustrated, because she's not talking yet, she backed way, 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 way up and started working on the social piece and on the cognitive piece and on receptive language. And then she realized, too, some, that the, there were gaps there that they weren't addressing. And I think that's what she meant when she said we would just give up and try something else. They would just move on without really realizing, oh, my goodness, that's something I should work on because until she gets this, she's really not going to be developmentally ready to move on. And that's what really happened with the the other family, too, the dad's letter that I read before. is They weren't really working on uh, that social connectedness piece. They weren't really working on receptive language. You know, instead of getting her to understand where's the cow, where's the bird, where's the dog, they were just 
you know, doing what most parents do, say, bird, tell me bird, ba 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 bird, you know, without really thinking, does she really know which one is the bird? Have we taught bird before we expect her to say it? And so, and it, again, not to be negative about any of these parents, um, the point is just to say when they kind of stopped in their tracks and looked at, oh, my goodness, we we need to change what we're focused on right here. Um, that That's the part. That's the message. And that's when their kids started to make progress. And I certainly hope that any parent listening to the show will come, that that will be your takeaway message from this show is to figure out on your own and hopefully with a therapist where your child is functioning what what are the big things that you have to accomplish before you may hear those words you know and so i hope that every every parent let me just say if you do not have a professional that you're working with you know if if it's within your power to get your child evaluated and to find someone help you work through this process and to tease out what's really going on, you know, please, please, please do that. I don't ever want anyone feeling like um, that an Internet resource or a podcast resource as as helpful and as informative and as great as I think our show is at times, it is really not the same as someone laying eyes on your child and working with your child and seeing your child uh, in real life living color and helping you move through that. Now, that being said, you know, sometimes you don't have the resources. Sometimes you have a situation where you're not working with someone as talented as you need to be able to <laughs> help you figure out what's going on with your child and teach you. And in those cases, just do what you can. And certainly I love that we're a resource for people and that we're supplemental therapists, even though it's far away and we, we may not even ever get to meet or see um, the children that, that we get to help through the show. And that's really, really cool, too. Um, this mom didn't ended this lady, her, the, the lady who wrote the letter, didn't she say that her therapist like got all the manuals and uh, started implementing everything with with the child too. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Which we had mom and therapist on the same page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty darn cool. Yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> Best yeah. case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was really great. And they were both thinking the same things and talking about it and able to implement the ideas together. And that's what I mean about having a professional to work with you, somebody that you can talk about this stuff with. How many times have you been working with a kid, Kate, and all of a sudden a mom just says one little thing that gives you a great idea that you think, oh, my goodness, I didn't know he or she could do this or I didn't know that this child was interested in this, or I don't know. Sometimes when we just, when we really listen to moms and we're working to them, we're working with them together, and they're included. Have you had that moment before with kids? I certainly have, where I've thought, "Gosh, I'm so glad I listened to that mom and she told me this because it, you know, might have changed something I tried or did." Right. <sighs> yeah, it's pretty important to be able to get on the same. Get up when both of you are on the same page. 
And so she goes on to say that um, she's had a lot more fun working with her child, and this mom also happens to be a therapist. I don't know if I said she was a speech pathologist at the beginning, but she was able to take a lot of this stuff and apply it to kids on her own caseload too. And so she said she um, – that's probably my favorite line from here. Right. She had – she said, I've just had so much more fun at work. <laughs> and I just love that when a therapist tells me that. And I, I get a lot of that where when I've done a conference and I'll come home and in the next couple of weeks get some really excited emails from therapists who will say some variation of this with, boy, I am glad that I changed what I was doing because this job is a heck of a lot more fun than it used to be. And I think that was that was a really nice message to hear too. All right. Yeah. So. I think that's when I started getting teary. Well, the whole thing was very very sweet and um, touching and everything. But yeah, when she talks about that, that she's having, and I can't imagine um, not having that be part of working. You know, I think when you, it's surprising that not every therapist would say that, but until you make the social part and the receptive part and the play part primary, you might not get that. You might not get it, yeah. And I think sometimes there are therapists who um, they think they're doing that and then they realize, oh, my goodness, I could really, you know, whether it's, you know, just ratchet it up a notch, they just try a little bit harder or they think, gosh, I've been calling this play-based, but really I haven't been playing that much. <laughs> you know, when they have a big kind of moment like that, or therapists who really didn't have a good um, idea of what early intervention should look like. So they have a lot of their toddlers, they're just trying to do watered-down school-age therapy. That is horrible. <laughs> I cannot see a situation where that would be fun for anybody. And so then they change their approaches. And and um, I love it when I get those emails, too, and when they tell me that. And I just, I just again, the coolest job in the world when you can hear that. All right, here's this last one that I wanted to share, and this is a different one. This is someone that I've never met um, this is just a mom that I emailed back and forth, and she sent me an email first to say, here's the situation with this little girl, and she um, was an interesting situation because she's a foster mom who was getting a little girl who had a diagnosis of autism. And so all of a sudden, you know, she feels like, what am I, you know, what am I going to do? What are some resources you would recommend? And I think the first time that she emailed me, she had not officially met her daughter yet. She just knew that she was um, coming, and so this mom was working night and day to put a good plan in place so that she would be absolutely ready for this little girl when she got her. And she said, I just want to thank you for this product. And she sent it. It was really cute. She sent this email. Uh, when when people order, they get a confirmation email, like the product is shipped or something like that. So she sent it back. And so I opened the email thinking, oh, no, somebody's gotten the wrong product or order didn't arrive or something. You know, I expected it fully to be something like that. 
And so I got this email instead. She said, I just want to thank you for these products. My daughter was officially placed with me for adoption in February, but she's been full-time with me now for just over a month. I've used the techniques, and she's meeting in the DVDs, and she's gone from a vocabulary of 20 words to 160 words and 40 phrases. I mean, I about fell off my chair when I read that. And she said she's able to understand and obey me, and in most cases can communicate with me effectively. We have a lot more work to do but it's definitely working. And so I thought that was a great, great, great email. And certainly there are so many things that we could tease apart with this kind of mom. And I've never met this little girl. You know, the the really objective person to me would say, well, then was she really autistic? Is she really on the spectrum if she made that much progress? I don't know. You know, she has that diagnosis. But the take-home is mom applied new information that she did everything she could to acquire, and her little girl has had phenomenal progress with that. And I think uh, the thing that mom and I emailed back and forth and talked a lot about is I really uh, encouraged her to focus on receptive language and her understanding words and making sure that she... um, knew what words meant before she really started pushing words expressively. Um, and so I love that she gave me some information that she's able to understand language and follow directions at the beginning, or now, and really couldn't do that at the beginning. So I thought that was a great one, too. And talk about progress. That's phenomenal. That's light speed progress. Right. And who knows? I mean, you know, I, I don't even know if she says in this one how old the child is, but... In any case, um, sometimes kids on the spectrum can be highly verbal. So it just maybe when she uh, really put a lot of focus on where the child was play-wise and receptive-wise and social-wise, and, you know, those are the building blocks. So when she met her where she was and addressed those effectively, she's making unbelievable progress. Unfortunately, not every child makes that kind of progress, but it's exactly. what you got to do to get it. If you're going to get it, you're going to get it that way. Yeah, it, by working on the receptive stuff first. And then sometimes the expressive stuff really does come so fast that you feel like, oh, my goodness, this is a miracle. <laughs> I love it when I feel that way. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't happen with every kid. It really doesn't. And please don't misunderstand me that I'm saying that. I just wanted to share that because I think that was that's really an indication. My my big message here would be, boy, did this mom get her herself in gear and her plan mm-hmm. in gear because she was really ordering these products and figuring out and learning every single thing that she could about language development. Um, and if I remember the details of this situation correctly, before she even really saw her, she just knew that she had this diagnosis and that she was going to have these issues. And so she sounds like to me she tackled this challenge head on and they're doing beautifully. So I love that. All right, two other ones that I wanted to mention that were on TeachMeToTalk.com's Facebook page. Someone uh, today, Kim, wrote um, that the stages of play impacted their family the most, that that's what she, you know, I did a little post that said we're going to do a follow-up show today and about um, 
with parents and therapists, things, the feedback they've given us. And anytime I've asked people or people say, talk to me about the podcast, they always bring up those stages of play, that stages of play series that we did. And how long ago was that? That was what, the summer, that wasn't even this summer, that was last summer, wasn't it? I know you don't really think I have an answer to that. So I'm just (laughs) going to, yeah, I think it was. I know. So I think that's so cool. So that stages to play stuff, and I am going to do more stuff with that. I have a book and a DVD that if I ever get that far down my to-do list, I'm definitely uh, going to put that information in a different format because that always helps people. And then this other one that I wanted to share. Well, and we've um, talked from- about it recently, not too long ago when we were talking about toy ideas. Because right. it is an interesting way to, you know, kind of review toys. What what stages? Oh, yeah, it works for that. That's good. And I think it's really interesting, too, with the whole stages of play thing. That Well, first of all, it's new information for a lot of speech-language pathologists because we're so hyper-focused on communication and language, as we should be. That is our job. But we get a little biased with we can only think about work on target words, language, without thinking about where a child really has to be developmentally before he or she truly are ready to talk. And so if you have a kid who doesn't know how to play, I mean, that ought to be the ding, 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 you know, red flag, red flag, wah, 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 warning (laughs) that he or she may not even, that talking may be, outside the realm of possibility for a child who has very little going on with play. And so, but I have seen kids when I've really focused on play, and you talk about this all the time, Kate, you always say, well, first I'm going to teach them how to play, and then all that language stuff is going to come on in. And that's a great way to think about it. And you frame it that way a lot on the show but a lot of speech pathologists, again, we're not really trained to kind of think about it that way. We think, with, well, I'm going to start with single words, you know, and think, and they'll, and they'll, or I'm going to increase his phonemic repertoire. You know, I'm going to teach him more sounds without really thinking, hello, there's a whole lot that has to happen before we're even sort of ready for that stuff. And play really gives you more information about a child's cognition than anything, don't you think? I really do, yes. Um, I really do. And that plus the social piece is going to give you some sort of a reflection of where they are communicatively. You know what I mean? Like those two things have to be coming along pretty well in order for the communication to be on target. And if those are missing, don't expect the communication to be anywhere on target. Right, and that's what a lot of therapists mean when they're saying, you know, like that other mom who happened to be a speech pathologist, you know, I felt like I was banging my head against the wall. I was so frustrated. I didn't know what else to do. And so looking at play and targeting cognition through play, meaning that you're going to um, meet a child where he is developmentally, figure out what he doesn't know, what he's not able to do with play, get out some of those developmental assessments and figure out exactly what he can and can't do play-wise. And, again, a lot of parents will do like this mom did or like that mom said. She said they just moved on. How many times will a parent say, well, he doesn't like that? 
He doesn't right. he doesn't want to play with me because he doesn't like toys. It's because he doesn't know how to play with toys. He doesn't know what to do. It's not that he doesn't like it. He doesn't understand it. And so I think the whole stages of play is such a nice way to think about it and look at it. And, again, I think it's brand new information for many, many, many professionals. And in your master's degree in early childhood education, Kate, did you have information about play kind of broken down in that way? The way you review, no, the stages of play, no, not really. I mean, we had, you know, we had expert theories on play, which right. Piaget and like, yeah, that's yeah. not like. <laughs> Cooperative play, parallel play, that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about what a child is able to do with the toy. Right. And teasing no. out, you know, cognitively where is he based on how he can play. And then, again, our kids who have motor issues kind of layered on top of those cognitive issues, you know, that's a whole other ball game with uh, what a kid can and can't do. And so I, but I think using that stages of play information is so important and hugely overlooked. And I hope when I wrap up some of these other things, I'm able to um, box that information in a new way. But until then... Listeners can check out those old podcasts about that. And every time we talk about it, I think, gosh, I really should look up what shows those are so I can tell people it's show number, you know, 85 through 95 or how many of the weeks that drug on. You know, I don't I don't even know oh, what yeah, show Oh, yeah, it was a never-ending series, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, that series. And we'd always say, oh, we can get through that. a few of these in one show. No, we'd get through one. Yeah. <sighs> Sometimes I'll even worry, but it's great theory. So if you haven't listened to those shows, I mean, no kidding. When I when I meet therapists at conferences, that's what they say to me. Or when I have the privilege of meeting a mom who's been a podcast listener for a long time, either she's emailing me or bringing her child to see me, um, a lot of times that's what I'll hear. I love your stages of play. Your stages of play made more sense to me than anything. When I was on that podcast, uh, Downright Awesome, the dads that do the podcast about um, Down syndrome, right. the the dad who asked me to be on the show said, well, I'll just tell you straight up, I, I haven't listened to too many of your podcasts, but that stages of play, I listened to that. I liked that. And I think he was an engineer and he liked it because it was so black and white and it made sense to him rather than, you know, the other stuff we talk about. But anyway, that one. All right, let me share this last one. And this is on, uh, this was from Facebook, and she says, and um, Kate, this is from Marianne, and I feel fine about saying her name since she's, her name's on Facebook, and she says, for six months following our meeting with Laura, and she means and Kate there too, we instituted the above routine with our son, and that's where I'm saying, you know, need a child where he is, work on cognition first, Work on your social games and establish verbal routines. And she said, we instituted the above routine, and they also did a whole lot of additional therapy. And she says, we didn't let up, and now he's repeating the verbal routines. He's finishing our sentences, and he's doing his books and songs. And she goes on to say some other things about um, counting and ABCs and things like that. And this is a child who um, has a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder, so he is drawn to numbers and letters and things like that. Um, but she's, her point is they've stuck with it, they've gutted it out, 
and now they're seeing some nice progress with language. And she said he also said his first three-word sentence this week, boot the Apple, which was meaning reboot his app, the Apple computer at their uh, mm-hmm. um, I think that was really cute. Boot the Apple. <laughs> that is cute, funny. Cute. <laughs> I can see a fair number of our kids that be their first phrase. Boot the Apple. <laughs> I might teach it. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking, gosh, that is that's just so darling. I wish I could hear him say that. I bet he's he was a darling little boy. Mm-hmm. Just a precious, precious little boy. So I'm so glad to hear that he's doing well too. But she's going back to you have to work on those foundational pieces and that certainly um I hope is the message that any mom or therapist gets from any of our shows, but particularly today. And to read um, feedback from four or five different moms, all with different situations with their children, all different diagnoses for their children, all they live in all different parts of the country, don't know each other. You know, one of these moms I've never even met. She just uh, has the Teach Me to Talk DVDs, and so that it's just so great to be able to share that information with families that this is what looking at the other side with families who were seeing some progress these were the things that worked for them and these were their big aha moments and so again need a kid where he is developmentally work on cognition Pay attention to that social piece. Work that social piece into all the other things you're doing. Make that your priority, even if you're thinking about receptive language and cognition that still kind of goes back to that social piece has to be in place first. And those social games are just so fun for any kid. And I really use social games with every kid on my caseload. Even if we're just working on articulation or intelligibility, those social games can be an important backbone of any kid's treatment plan. So I hope that's the takeaway message, and I hope that some moms and dads have been encouraged today and inspired from real stories from other parents who have children and who have uh, continued to work with them and then are finally seeing some progress. So great show for me anyway. Yes. Well, um, they were very, you know, they're sweet stories and fun to hear back that, that it's working. So I know. I think so. All right. If any of you have questions or topics you want us to do on the podcast, send those my way. You can email me at Laura at teachmetotalk.com or send me a message or post a comment on teachmetotalk.com's Facebook page and look for the Easter Therapy Tips of the Week videos that are going to be out this week. Thanks, Chase. Thanks. Bye. Bye.